Hello there. Welcome to the Self-Performance Strategies Podcast. In this episode, we're doing another deep dive performance origins interview with a large content creator, Steve on Speed. We're going to talk about his mission to help millions of people achieve financial freedom in their life. Less than me introducing it, and let's get straight into this episode. Welcome to the SPS podcast, the Self Performance Strategies podcast. Unlocking the secrets to success and unlocking the secrets to self performance so you can improve mentally, emotionally, and physically. The SPS podcast is brought to you by the Pro Accelerator program, helping business owners and business leaders save at least 10 working hours a week, improve their focus, and make more money. If that sounds like something you're interested in, check out the show notes and follow the links. But let's now jump in to this episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are in episode 48 of the SPS podcast of the Self-Performance Strategies podcast. And in this episode, we're doing another performance origins deep dive. And I'm really excited to have Steve on speed on today's episode. Steve on speed, uh, retired at 35 years old, is now... Uh, location independent and as an entrepreneur teaching other people financial independence uh, he's got over 240,000 followers on Twitter and drops daily wisdom so if you're not already following him on Twitter go over and, uh, and check him out uh, full of great information Steve we've got the same name but it's an absolute pleasure <laughs> for you to be on the podcast today welcome to the self-performance strategies podcast how are you Thank you, Steve. I I certainly appreciate that. I love your name first and foremost. (laughs) Yeah, I knew. I see. I know this is going to be a good conversation because we have the same name and probably the same kind of mindset with with a lot of these things. Because everybody who's named Steve is, you know, we're 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 a level above or something, right? Or I don't know. Probably not. But that's just special special breed. We are we are special in in more ways than one. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Pleasure to have you on. I, I think you and I have known each other from Twitter for mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years, if not longer, during that sort of the boom I call it, of money Twitter uh, in in the sort of the early pandemic years. A very exciting time. Uh, really enjoyed that time period of my Twitter growth. But we'll it's talk been about, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but before to get in to start, first question: Where I start with all my uh, podcasts, with all my interviews, what is your personal self performance philosophy, or what is your 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 personal success philosophy? For me, I, I I would have to say it's it's showing up every day. And my dad used to tell me when I was a kid that showing up is half the battle. And you know, go, as as I was going through my career in, in information technology, I, it was very apparent early on that. It really is that simple. If you're in the office every single day, and I was, I'm an early person, so I was often the very first one or among the first in the office every day before my boss ever got there all the time. That makes a huge, huge difference. I never really looked for opportunities to take off. I never took off for my birthday just because it was my birthday. I showed up in the office and I did my work every day. And, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily the smartest person in the office, but you know what? You don't have to be either. You don't have to be the smartest person. Yeah. You just have to be there and give it your all, try your best. And that often um, 
really it's i really think it's more than half the battle at this point if you if, if you're showing up every day you're 80 percent there and that extra 20 percent really isn't all that difficult amazing i 100 percent agree with that i i love that in a sense that that has been driven in and you said that was your father give you that that yep. that, that, that yep. nugget of wisdom and was he similar was he a type of person that just showed up and showed up absolutely very very rarely took took days off and you can take that to the extreme i mean you mm-hmm. do you know, a time away from from work. So I'm so I'm not saying work seven days a week. I'm not saying work twelve hours a day. That's not what what I'm saying. All I'm saying is show up every day, put in a good day's work, and then go home and rest. So uh, so you can do it again. But yeah, my yeah, my yeah. dad you, used to always say that. It's really good. It's really good. It's almost similar to the concept of no zero days. Just, exactly. Just, yeah. Just, just keep bringing it. Keep showing up. Keep doing your best. That's really interesting. So if we go back into your story and we peel back to your success origins, like as I said in the intro, you got 240,000 followers on Twitter. You are financially independent and you live in a farm with your wife in Arizona, uh, which I, I, I love the, the, the pictures that you share sometimes. And I've, I've seen mm-hmm. you've been on news articles about it and everything. It's been super interesting. But to get there, to get to that point, where where did this journey of, of of Steve begin? Where did the success and financial independence? Where did it all start? It started with my hatred of working a nine to five <laughs> job. And when I say that, I don't I don't hate the concept of nine to five jobs. In fact, I talk a lot about this on Twitter that you don't have to start your own you know eight figure business mm-hmm. to build wealth and be financially independent. Most people build wealth with your with their nine to fives. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Most people do, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what I did too for the longest time. But I worked in IT, in information technology, and that's one of those career fields that pay you well, but it also drains the life out of you. So yeah, if yeah. I loved my job, I probably wouldn't be here right now. I would be living in a city and, you know, working five days a week, ten eight, eight to ten hours a day, just just like anybody else would. Um, but it was it was my it was that hatred of of just forced work to make somebody else rich day in and day out on problems that I didn't care about solving other people's problems all the time. I didn't care about them. I didn't want to spend my time doing that. And so that's that's really where the story of financial independence and early retirement for me begins. Just not, I don't want to do things that I don't want to do. <laughs> and I know we're all like that. It always sucks to have yeah. to do things that you don't want to do. And sometimes you do have to do that. I do that too sometimes, even today. But an entire career of doing that, 40 years in the most productive um, a, a age range for human beings between 25 and and 55, I would say, 65, I guess that's 40 years, <clears throat> that just wasn't going to work for me. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. We're both entrepreneurs. We, we, we both left the nine to five. I, I, and I think that, that that's very inspiring because I, I fell down a slightly different trap where I fell into, the, and I know you climbed quite high quickly in the ladder as well. And we can just, we can describe that, talk about that as well. What you did, mm-hmm. I I went down that route myself, where I was like, well, how do you get more freedom in your life? Well, you earn more money, so you climb the ladder higher. That's right. Yeah. And I did that, but what it actually kind of had a, a detrimental effect on me is it just created more stress and more overwhelm and less free time in my life. And I was like, yep. what am I doing? What am I doing here? But I, I from your threads, you talk about leveraging your nine to five to help you with that financial freedom and and you mm-hmm. say it a number of times you're you're 
very much a, a yes man in, in a sense where a lot of people are running around saying say no say no you've always kind of come out and said no when you're in a certain time period of your life you should be saying yes so i want to pull on that thread a little bit because i feel like that that, that coincides with your with your journey yeah if you're if you have a comfortable job like a cushy job in your 20s you're 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 doing it wrong that is the time where you should say yes to everything. Well, most things, 99% of things, the opportunities that that you get, you need to address them. You need to try them. You need to see kind of where you go. And especially when we're young, we don't know what we're freaking good at. We know what we think we're good at, but without trying different things, you're just not going to know. So one of the things that I always did throughout my career is I said yes to the opportunities that I, especially to the opportunities that I did not think I was right for. I remember this one Friday, I was called into the executive director's office. And you know what happens on Friday. That's when people usually get fired. So I got called into my executive director's office and HR was there too. So I'm like, oh shit. Now what, what, what am I going to do? I'm obviously losing my, my job. But he, I think he sensed my concern. And he's like, Steve, don't worry, we're not firing you. It's like, oh, okay, good. But now, why? still, why am I here? Well, apparently, they fired an entire layer of management above me. I'm talking the chief information officer, the director of IT, and his direct support, so the assistant director. <clears throat> and they wanted me, and at that time, I was a 30-year-old software developer. They wanted me to take over the entire department. Wow. I had zero leadership experience, zero management experience. But for some reason, they wanted me to take over the entire department of the IT staff. And I really wanted to say no, because I wasn't ready. And it really was true. I wasn't ready. I had never done this before. But before I knew it, I said, sure, let's do it. And yeah. it was it was a scary decision. But it was also one of those decisions that you learn a lot from. And they wouldn't have asked me to take on that role if they didn't think that I could do it. So kind of implicitly, the fact that they even offered me the position convinced me that <clears throat> maybe they <clears throat> excuse me, maybe they saw something in me that even I didn't see. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe maybe I am more capable, you know, maybe I can, maybe I'm right for this next step. And if I said no. I would have been on the same salary trajectory, which granted software developments, you know, salary ranges are pretty good. So I still would have made good money, but saying yes to that opportunity, even though I didn't feel ready for it, put me on a different salary trajectory an executive salary trajectory where I was the director. And, I, and, and then I moved on from there and I made way more money over the course of my career because of that one opportunity where I wanted to say no, but I said yes, and I figured it out as I went. That's great. Because you put those, those opportunities are put in front of you, and, and some people could crumble, or you sure. could be thinking, well, that's going to affect mm -hmm. my, I mean, you're in your late 20s or early 30s, and you might be still yeah. thinking about your social life or holidays or trips away. You might be in you know, still a young man mode. I know that I was definitely still in young man mode at that point. I might not have made that decision. I don't even think I would have been mature enough for a company to offer me that kind of uh, role. So good for you, but you, you, but you make those decisions based on your current, uh, your current lens. 
and good for you for saying yes to that because that, that that's a big thing where you hear a lot on Twitter as I already mentioned you hear a lot around you oh you should say no more often no say yes because say yes. yes especially when you're young so say yes to everything when you're young and then start saying no because that's when you you get a feel for what for what's going to work. You just have that – you build that up in your mind where this is what I know, this is what I want to do, this is what I'm good at and where I can make a lot of money. So then you could start saying no later on in your 30s and 40s with thing, you know, with opportunities that clearly just aren't right for you or where you don't want to go because you have things that you know are going to make you money. Nice. So say yes to everything, then start focusing in on just those opportunities that you can exploit uh, to become way, way, way more successful. But if you say no from the beginning, first of all, you're not going to get those opportunities again. <clears throat> and second of all, you're not going to know what you're just naturally going to excel at. Yeah, it's, it's that simple. You got to you got to try, try, <clears throat> try before you buy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before you, before you get stuck into something, try it. Try it. That's good. That's good. Because you, you don't know. I mean, I, I know there's a random story popped into my head there. There was a a lot of the times uh, people are going through uh, university to be a surgeon, and they go like through a year and a half or two years off sort of like schoolwork before they actually have a scalp on their hands yep. and then like yep. 20 or 30 percent of the people drop out at the, t the <clears> point <throat> the time when it goes to here here's a scalp in your hands go and cut this cadaver and then they realize <laughs> oh i haven't actually got the skill set for this so they literally just wasted uh, a year and a half two years of their life right on a career path but then you weren't even suited for it so how are you going to know you're going to be suited for something until you actually put the scalp in your hand until you try that's right you exactly try. it that's great. That's great. So with that journey, you would have needed to have a lot of high energy. You would have needed to be able to work long hours. You would have been able to be an adaptable. So what what struggles in your life or career did you have to overcome to be that sort of show up? Yes, man, uh, I'm going to take on this big role. And I know I'm going to have the mental energy and the physical energy to actually the smash this out of the park. What, what, what struggles did you have to overcome to be that person? For me, it was it was confidence. It was a lot of confidence. I, you know, going through my career, my early career, I saw people in high places, and they seemed to know exactly what to do. They seemed to know all the answers. You know, now I know that wasn't necessarily true. No, <laughs> nobody's perfect, and a lot of times they only tell you what they want you to know. And when things don't go well, you know, those things are brushed aside and when things do go well, well, they want to make sure that you know that they they were responsible for that. So that wasn't necessarily the whole story. And I know that now, but going through early in my career, it was kind of intimidating to see some of these people in, in higher places as, as managers, as, as directors and CEOs or, you know, senior software developers, senior this, senior that, all, all that stuff. And it was... It was it, it really was intimidating. And it's like, well, I have a lot of competition here. How in the hell am I gonna am I gonna design my career in such a way where I'm gonna build experience, I'm gonna build skills, and I'm gonna get to that place myself. Mm -hmm. But the more I went through my career, the more I realized that one, if you just show up at, every day, like I said before, that's gonna get you a long way. And two, it's really not that hard to 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 look good, especially in today's 
corporate environment. There's so many complainers. There's so many people who will just take off for, for no reason or duck out early, like all the time, every now and then. Okay, we all do that. I did that too. But all the time, you're just not there. You don't try. You half-ass it. That's probably that, – that was 50, 60, 70% of the people I worked with. So just just like even putting in – 80% of what you're capable of, you are going to rise through the ranks. Yeah. And so it was way easier. So initially my struggle was of confidence. How am I going to do this? But then once I started figuring out this really isn't all that hard, it may not happen quickly, but if, but if you keep doing your job, it is going to happen. That made it so much easier to develop the confidence I needed to, to to say yes to some of these opportunities and to put myself into the position of making some decisions that are going to affect that are going to affect business. It's going to affect a million million dollar decisions, and the more you do them, the easier it gets. Um, but yeah, that's I, that's it. It had it has been an interesting experience, but it's been easier than I thought it was going to be for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, similar sort of threads from my career. You know, I, I definitely uh, messed up my, my 20s. I won't get too deep into that. This isn't my podcast about me. But uh, <laughs> in my 30s, uh, from about the age mm-hmm. of 32 to, to 40, um, I, I got I think I got promoted or, or moved position like nine times in eight years because wow. I, I showed up. Like, I think the longest I spent in that position was about a year. And then I was like, six months, you're on this project. Three months, you're in this project. You're doing this sprint in this team. I got moved around. And, and there was... a you know, three in between those nine different roles, there were uh, probably three to four different pay scales that went up, but I was getting moved around in the different different things across two organizations. Uh, and I I agree, that's what I'm saying. That I state that I, I became somebody who showed up. I went from being someone in my 20s who avoided hard work, who looked, uh, how can I book this weekend off? How can I take extra days off? You know, I, I was the kid trying to be the kidder. That's what, that's what I was in the 20s. I was like, how, how, how can I avoid all the big things, but then also get paid well. And then I get frustrated when I didn't get the promotions. Like, yeah, no wonder I didn't get the promotions because I'm, I'm a slithery guy trying to get out of all the work all the time. <laughs> uh, but then when I stood up and actually showed up, it just, the, the doors just opened because you're right. Like 80, 90% of people in a lot of corporate environments are just there to check in, check out, almost like factory work. They're drones. Exactly. And, and to, I, I guess early my early on in my career, I probably was too, because I didn't really, I didn't. I I hadn't. You know, gotten all this figured out yet, and how to how to excel. But yeah, when when you're working amongst a bunch of drones, a bunch of people who are just mindlessly going into work and then going home and then repeating the process over and over and over again, I mean, it's not going to be hard to to excel. It's not going to be hard to look good. It's not going to be hard to put yourself into the position to get promotions and raises. And getting raises throughout my career, I did switch jobs. I didn't switch jobs quite as often as you did, but I would say every three to four years. I was gone, man. Mm. I don't like long-term routine. I got bored. I needed yeah. something else to do. Um, but yeah, the nice thing I only jumped in two organizations. I'll jump in. That was like I got moved within those organizations. So yeah. it wasn't like I was like jumping from different company to different company. I was getting gotcha. moved from department to project to different things. So uh, I don't yep. want to make it look like I was some sort of like a job whore. Ooh, can I say that? <laughs> yes, I can. It's my podcast. <laughs> it's very, very, very different podcast. Yeah, but every time I switch companies, the nice thing is I got like a 15 to 20% raise each yeah. time. Yeah. Screw these, you know, three to four percent cost of living raises. I was getting sometimes twenty percent raises because negotiating your salary is a part 
of the of taking a new job. It's just yeah, a part of the yeah. process. So it's easy to get raises and to get new opportunities when you move around fairly often. And that was one of the best things that I did throughout my throughout the course of my career to keep my salary going up is just moving companies. And uh, yeah, I, I, I would say I moved over the course of my career. I worked for about four, four, five, four companies um, with like 20% raises at each time. So that adds up really quickly. It does. It does. That's brilliant. So let, let's talk about, before we jump in, I'm going to ask you some questions about your future and we'll talk about where you're going. But before okay. we, we do that, I, I want to get to this, this financial independence, this, this, this the, the sort of the leap that you made. What, when did you decide to, to, to bail out of corporate? Like, how did you end up where you are uh, on the map? Well, what was the, what was the train of thought? Uh, that went through your mind to end up with this patch of land uh, in quote unquote the middle of nowhere compared to where you probably used to live. Uh, what was the thought process around that? Well, like I said before, from the moment I set foot in the office, I knew that I couldn't do this mm -hmm. for 40 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point, by all, I did not have all this figured out, but I think I was about 30 at the time. I was living in my house in the suburbs because I was a successful software developer. So I had the house in the suburbs and I walked out to my garage and I instinctively just reached up to open up the garage door and something stopped me. And I didn't, I, I, I to this day, I still don't know exactly what that was, but something stopped me. And I turned around and I looked at what was in my garage. So on the left, I had my brand new Cadillac CTS. In the middle, I had my Yamaha R1 sport bike. On the right, I had my supercharged Corvette convertible. I had all these toys, these expensive toys that I thought was, you know, what yeah, you do yeah. when you're quote unquote successful. And that was the first time that I admitted to myself, I have all of these things, all of these things that make me successful, but I still don't feel fulfilled. Something is still missing. Why? Why am I not feeling fulfilled even though I have all of these things? And at that point still, I, I didn't put the pieces into place. I had no idea about financial independence, certainly not early retirement. But I just knew from that point on that I need to do something now. I need to do something quickly. And I, I really started to put those pieces into place when I met my wife. We had two combined salaries coming in. She was a rocket scientist, like actual rocket scientist. <laughs> so we had two good salaries in 2013 combined. We were pulling down about 220 Gs. And that's good money today, but that was especially good money back then. So we had a, we had a decision to make. We could either live like rock stars, you know, vacation homes, nice cars, whatever, expensive dinners live like we are quote unquote successful high paying professionals or we can save the vast majority of our money and quit our jobs and do something we actually want to do with our time obviously we chose the the latter and that that really helped me solidify the fact that yeah this this is going to work and it's going to happen it's not a might it's it will it it was only a matter of when mm -hmm. um and then I I think it was December 23rd of 2016 was my last working day of my life. And it was the best Christmas gift 
that I could ever give myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, I love that story. I love that moment. I love the fact that you can call back to that moment where you're standing yep. in the garage, you turn around, you're seeing all the, the all the signs of wealth, all, all the all the rewards, and you're like, hmm, hmm. Yeah, uh, what's yeah, going on here? <laughs> yeah, and I went through a similar, not the same scale of the same kind of cars and stuff, but I went through a similar process um, when I started first started making money in my early 30s because obviously, again, I messed my <laughs> 20s up. But I went out and bought all the things, got a nice, got a new car, uh, bought a oh, yeah. new computer, uh, bought like uh, DJ equipment and stuff, all the stuff that I had my list of things that I wanted to, to buy at that time in my life, and I bought everything. And I had everything that was pretty much on my wish list. I, I'm not a big wish list, and I'm not like a guy who wanted like a $10 million house and a, and a Ferrari. I was like, I, I want this, yeah, actual, this practical stuff that I wanted to use. So I went and spent thousands of dollars on decent equipment and decent things <clears> in my life. And I just remember about a month after buying all this stuff being like, I thought I was meant to be happier having this stuff in the house. And I was like, I, this doesn't... Uh, and at the same time, I was into stoicism. Uh, and there was a lot of that sort of... Uh, uh, happiness doesn't come from external things it comes from within yep. and there was a lot of connections yep. that I made mentally like reading stoicism around at the same time because I was at the start of my personal development journey I was at the start of that that, that growth in my corporate roles uh, earning decent money and, and I think it was the the first it was the, the the first time in my life and it was happened about 2013 maybe 12 around at the same time as you that I had money went down and bought everything that was on my list and then realized this isn't the way yep exactly stuff stuff just isn't it and I, it, it's not to say, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you have no interest in early retirement, I mean, that, that, that's fine. The point isn't to quit your job. The point isn't to retire early, but I would think the, I, I would say the point is to the financial freedom yeah. is the goal. Early retirement does not need to be your goal, but financial freedom should be your goal. And the reason is once you are financially free, you have so many more opportunities. You have so much more flexibility. If you're if the company you work for gets bought by another company and everything sucks, guess what? You can quit tomorrow and not worry about yeah. money for a single second. And that freedom is indescribably awesome yeah. when you can do that mm -hmm. you have so much more control over every aspect of your life even if you decide to continue working so don't focus on the early retirement focus on the financial freedom part of this and then if you do want to retire early that's fine you have the option to but you don't have to but you can control your life you can control your time um way way easier if you are financially free yeah, you can you can swing for the fences in different areas of your life. Uh, exactly. I, I'm not in the same financially free bracket as you, 100% not. But I know that I created enough financial freedom to actually step out from underneath a corporate paycheck. Yep. yep because exactly. I don't, I don't have the quiet life of desperation. I'm not living in a four thousand to five thousand dollar a month mortgage. I haven't got a thousand dollar truck payments or or an Audi sitting in my driveway of a three year lease. Yeah, I, I, those things I thought I wanted, but I don't. So I, I, I live stoically, quote unquote, financially, but that gave me the, the, the ability a couple of years ago to give a go at being an entrepreneur because I wasn't handcuffed to like, oh, I need mm -hmm. six, seven thousand dollars a month to come in to cover all my glamorous expenses. I was like, I don't I don't even need half that. 
because uh, uh, I set my life up in a way that I provided that opportunity. And, and what you're talking about, the freedom to, 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 to say basically fuck you to an organization when they when you don't no longer like working there and you know that you can and you have a skill set or a side hustle or other things on on the side that you can then rotate into it's a it's it's a blessing an absolute blessing the the the, the amount of stress that you don't have because you have that freedom is brilliant and i i can tell it that you, you tapped into that oh yeah yeah, and that's and that's what I enjoy most about my lifestyle now is the ability to get up when I want, go to sleep when I want, do pretty much whenever you know what I want, whenever I want. I could jump on a podcast with you in the middle of the day on a weekday, and I don't have to like I don't have to call in sick. I don't have to see if there's any work I have to do. I just schedule it and I do it. That that element of control is just indescribably awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I love it. I say I love it a lot, but I do. I love that because it, <laughs> I, I have this idea, uh, and I took it from uh, another very successful coach and entrepreneur called Dan Sullivan, and he he talks about the four freedoms in life, uh, and you expand on them. And I I, I think it's a, a massive pillar for me to th thinking about this is expanding on your freedom of time that allows you to expand your freedom of money that allows you to expand your freedom of relationship that ultimately allows you to expand your freedom of purpose. Now. We are expanding all four of those pillars all the time, uh, and it's not quite sequential. But the argument that I have, or the, or the point I want to make, is your freedom of time is really around your freedom of money. Like if you, if mm -hmm. once, if you once you're able to, to create uh, time freedom, you have the ability to work on creating money freedom. And then when you have more money freedom, you can choose who you work with. You can choose what you do during the day. And then that allows you to tap into your freedom of purpose. Because when you're working for somebody else, you're not working on your purpose. You're, That's you're, true. You're working yep. on somebody else's purpose, yep. uh, which can be good for you for a certain period of time in your life. But ultimately, you want to be expanding your purpose. That's right. And money is just a tool. Money enables a lot. And when people say money isn't everything, I understand what they're saying don't sell your soul for more money. That's mm -hmm. that. That's the idea. And I completely agree with that. I, I'm, I am on board with that. But money, you really do have to focus at least somewhat on money. And that's increasing your income and decreasing your expenses. That builds wealth. That enables time freedom. That enables you to explore what your true purpose is in this world. But when you don't have the money, unless you're a monk, right? When you don't have the money, you just, when you don't have money living in the first world, living in the industrialized world like, like you and I, it's just not going to be easy. You're, you're going to be too focused on where that next paycheck is coming from. That's a bad position to be in. So money isn't everything true, but money, money really does enable, I would Money enables your ability to do what you were meant to do. I guess yes. I'll say it that way. I think there's a another way to put that is you cannot self-actualize if you're working for somebody else. If you don't have freedom of location and freedom of money, how do you actually self-actualize? How do you get in touch with your inner self? How do you become who you're meant to be if you're tied down to other people's uh, schedules yeah. or, or other people's ideas? Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Yeah. So with that said, you've got 240,000 followers on, on Twitter. 
uh, you've got a blog, you've got an email list, you're, you're, you're living off your, your retirement fund, uh, as far as I'm aware, but don't need to get too deep into that. But you've created this fantastic life for you. If I could give you a realistic but magic wand, uh, where would you like to be in the next 12 to 18 months? with your life realistic but magic wand where would you like to be with your with your with your focus or your freedom or or your twitter or whatever that is what's the future for steve that's a good question and and i i always think about that and it's like where where can i go from here everything is going so well how much how much more can i really ask and you know one of my goals is to reach 10 million people with the with the message of financial freedom that's one of the things I, I needed early on in my life. I didn't know about financial freedom, and I certainly didn't think that I was going to be able to achieve it. But once I realized that, Mr. Money Mustache was a was a great yes. indirect influence for me because he and I, I mean, I connected with his story. He was a software developer just like me. So I wanted I want to be like the Mr. Money Mustache for as many people as I can. And that's why I focused so much on growing on Twitter 240,000 now. I would I I mean this is really I'm on a road to a million on yeah. Twitter. That's that's like my I mean I'll I'll live I will eventually get there. Hopefully within the next 2 or 3 years maybe we'll we'll see what happens. But I want to be the only thing that I can really ask for at this point is to be a positive influence in people's money life, people's financial life. That's what I want to do. And I'm writing a book this year for a major publisher called wow. Millionaire Habits. And that's where I talk a, a lot about what, what we're talking about here, maybe a little bit more investing kind of um, topics in that book. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's my next step. I never really saw myself as an author. I never really wanted to be an author, but I'm hating it less than I thought I was going to. I, I have like 40,000 words written right now, which is about two thirds of the book well, should I, be about 200 pages and that's about 60,000. I, I had no idea. That is brilliant. I just see a smile has just come up across my face. Cause I, I mean, I think there's energy coming from you as well when, you, when, when you're talking about that, but that, that's great. I, and I think, you know, with the, the amount of content that you put out on your blog, on your, on your email list, on, on Twitter, it's just a natural progression. It could be a natural progression for a lot of, a lot of people on, on, on Twitter who are constantly delivering a high, you know, high standard of, 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 of content. So I, I'm really excited for for you with that. So how, how did that? Let's tap into that. So it's how did that come around, and and you know how's the journey going? I mean, what what what's how excited are you about getting that done and 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 becoming like a a, a celebrity author for money? <laughs> well, he yeah, they reached out to me and said, "Hey, Steve, do you have any interest in writing a book?" And I go, "No, thanks, though." And then so, sort of dropped for a while. But then the, the idea mm. kind of percolated back, back in my mind for, for a few days. And so I, I reached back out and I said, well, okay, what, why, don't, why don't we talk about this? Because this, this might be a ne the next step for me to get more opportunities. Again, going back to saying yes to opportunities more than saying no. Yeah. I initially said no. I thought better of it and says, maybe I should say yes. I have a good feeling about where this is going to go, what, what this will enable me to do in terms of the number of people that I can reach. So anyway, went back and we, we uh, worked something out. 
Um, it's been it's been a very interesting process, and I'm not yet at the worst of it. Mm-hmm. So writing the book initially, that's one thing, but now the editing comes. Yes. So that from other offers or from other authors, they pretty much 100% uniformly say the editing sucks. So I'm really not looking forward to that. But um, I that's I mean, that's part of that's part of experiencing what what you know, what you're good at in in this life. So I'm I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna go through it the best I can. And we'll just see where this book goes. But yeah, that's, that's just that next step, I think on my on my um, drive to reach 10 million people with this message. Um, I think I needed to do the book and I'm glad that at least at this point, talk to me in another six months, but at this point, I'm glad I said yes. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. Uh, really no, good for you for doing that, taking on that challenge. It's good to have our, ourselves a little sort of short term, one year, 18 months, two year goals. And, uh, and I think that I look, I look forward to seeing it at the, the completed journey because I, you know, again, your content, you're, you're growing 240,000 followers on Twitter, constantly delivering uh, value online and, and you do have a slightly different take to some of the financial advice out there because yep. I know a lot of it's kind of a uh, quite trite you know stop eating stop drinking Starbucks is like I mean the only reason why you should stop drinking Starbucks is because it's awful coffee not because it's five dollars <laughs> I tweeted that three weeks ago or something like that yeah yeah and yeah <laughs> that the 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 latte factor thing yeah I mean don't think small if you think that 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 stopping your Starbucks habit habit is going to make you rich, that's small thinking. That's not that's not going to do it. It might save you seven hundred bucks a year. I think I did, did the math at one point, and it was about seven hundred dollars a year. It's about that, yeah. I said, yeah. okay, well, that's probably not. I mean, yeah, it all it all helps. It all adds up. But man, if that coffee or whatever it is is what gets you out of bed in the morning, gets you going, gets you to the office or whatever to help you do a good job. Fuck it. Just do it. Yeah. Buy the buy the coffee. It doesn't – that part doesn't matter. Frivolous spending does. And mm-hmm. I, the overall concept is, you know, don't, don't necessarily spend money on everything you possibly want at any given time because that gets out of control. We have – we have closets or garages full of junk that used to be cold hard cash in our wallets so it can it can go too far but it really comes down to deciding what is most important for you and then spending lavishly on those things and then ruthlessly cutting back on the things that aren't that important and that's a those are really hard decisions to make like I once thought that I could not live, could not live without ESPN. But <laughs> look at me now. I'm all livid and stuff, and I haven't had access to ESPN in decades. Mm. It, it's interesting how much we can accomplish and how little of a sacrifice we think these, you know, these cutbacks are going to be once we get over that initial hump of saying, yes, I am going to cut this. I'm no longer going to spend money on this because it's just not that important. Trust me, you'll be fine. I think that's the the sort of the, the framework of stop asking five and ten dollar questions and start asking, you know, that's 10, right, ten thousand or fifty thousand dollar questions. Because like, how how can you improve your per annum 
your or your monthly recurring revenue, even in working in corporate or, or working as an sure. entrepreneur, rather than like scrimping and saving and trying to, oh, I better, I should cancel Netflix. Oh, Disney Plus. No, you should cancel both of those because of garbage, not because they're taking your money. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Uh, but it's like if you actually think to yourself, well, how can I add an extra 10K, 15K, 30K to my actual wage, promotion, switching jobs? Those are bigger questions that will have a bigger impact on your bottom line, on your investments and on your life right. than putting the, 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 the microscope on, oh, I'm going to Starbucks th three times a week. It's like. Yeah, we can only cut back so much, yeah, but your yeah. income potential is literally unlimited. Yeah. And it may not be, it may not be unlimited at your nine to five, but it can be unlimited with your side hustle, which is a great opportunity for a great option for a lot of people. So yeah. keep your nine to five, but then in the nights and and weekends, build something on the side. If you're if you're good developing websites to you know start a, a web design or web development side hustle, or if you want to get out and get more exercise, offer to walk dogs or do pet sitting. People spend so much money, me included, on their pets. Yeah. so much money there, there there are so many ways out there to bring in a little bit extra income and the limit is really only how much time you are willing to devote to some of those things yeah, yeah i'm just nodding my head in agreement i, I <laughs> fully fully agree fully in line with that so with where you're going now and where you want to go we get a bit deeper bring you right back into the moment of now what do you think is currently slowing you down or standing in your way of your next success? Because you've had this fantastic journey. You've, you've, you've retired early. Uh, you've got this large following on, on Twitter and you've overcome a lot of struggles in your performance origins. But currently right now, what's slowing you down and standing in, in your way, mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever it could be for you, uh, for your next, standing in the way of your next success? Nothing. Nothing, no, nothing standing in my way. I just have to identify it and go after it. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next week. It might it might take a little while to get there. Like my goal to reach 10 million people, that's not going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. But nothing, nothing is standing in my way. I just have to get off my butt, which I am, and show up every day and do it and get it done. It's part of the reason why I spend so much time on social media. It's part of the reason why I'm writing this book. It's part of the reason why I like doing these podcasts. It gets the message of financial freedom out there. And it really does make a difference. So over time, that's going to happen for me. So the easy, the easy answer, uh, like I said, is there's nothing standing in, in my way, and I will not let anything stand in my way. The excellent answer, one of the best, one of the, one of the better ones I've heard. But I, what I like about that is that that's a muscle for you. I, that, that that's a built muscle. Sure. Because that's a, that's a knee-jerk reaction to like having self-awareness of actually understanding that nine times out of ten, any most people would say, "What's well, standing in your way?" It's usually yourself. Like absolutely, it, it's actually a hundred percent of the time. Because as soon as you say, "Oh, the government or the political environment or oh, the war in Ukraine, <laughs> the gas prices," like that's not a, that's not stopping you from success. That's right. So the things that are stopping you from success are usually mental, emotional, or physical internal barriers or limiting beliefs or upper limit issues, whatever way you want to frame it, that you're putting in front of your way. And, and I, I loved how quickly your knee jerk reaction to that was, no, there's nothing in my way because I won't allow myself to get in my way. That's right. That's, that's the, the bottom line. And I think if we all start to believe that we, you might be surprised at how much you could accomplish 
even within the next year. If if you if you tell yourself there there's not there there are no roadblocks, I'm going to jump over every barrier and I'm going to get over it and I'm going to continue moving forward. If you keep telling yourself that, I mean, dude, this stuff is mental. 99% of success yeah. in life is mental. If you don't believe you can achieve something, you're not going to achieve it. But if you believe that you are, guess what? You are, you are. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to, yeah, I'm not going to be a professional soccer player or or, or <laughs> a football player or baseball. Yeah, that that's not realistic. You you have to be realistic with this stuff. But if there's something out there that is that that you can reasonably achieve, there is there should be nothing that will stand in your way if you want it bad enough. It's yeah. just that simple. You be be unrealistic, realistic. Be unrealistically realistic. That's like, right. Is is, is yeah. the, like you could go big. Like for instance, one of my goals of my of my coaching business is the 10x i i, I don't want to use the phrase 10x too much because it's a bit trite and crime cordone work harder that's not really what i'm saying <laughs> it's 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 10x in the sense of i'm currently doing six figures i would like it to do a million at some point in my in my life i'd like yep. i i what, what would it be like to actually have a business that brings in seven figures in a year and who do i have to become to create that and it's not necessarily about working harder. It's actually about improving my mental, emotional, and physical standards. It's about raising uh, my my uh, ability to get shit done and not let myself get distracted or, or spiral off into, into bullshit. So I, I, when you were talking about just like getting, just like getting to it, showing up, getting it done, I was like, yeah, I'm nodding my head because I know that I'm the only thing getting in my own way. And there's things that I'm currently doing in my business. And I'm a performance coach and I help people get through this shit. <laughs> yet I, <laughs> I know mentally is the odd thing that I do. I'm like, oh, I, I did, I'm, 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 you know, putting that mental barrier up, up in my life. And I, and I, I, I love that refreshing sort of like knee jerk reaction that you had. I've already mentioned that, but it was just very concise and to the point inspiring, Steve. I like it. I like totally. it. Totally. Yep. Appreciate that. Give me energy. I, pre <laughs> I appreciate it. Awesome. I appreciate that. So yeah, as we're rolling on here, I've got a you know three or four questions here just to sort of wrap up. I mean, they're not quick fire questions, but they're sort of a, a little bit more kind of off your journey and off your story and just sort of a okay. general conversation on a few things. Sure. So if I was to ask you in general, when it comes to maybe even Twitter or, or finances or, or, or anything that you want to discuss, what is a contrarian view in, in your world? And it could, do, it could be do with personal development or it could do with finance, it could do with Twitter. But where do you push back against the norm? Where's your contrarian view, the big one that you really plant your flag on? I think a lot of people, and this is advice that I'm sure every single one of us have gotten at some point in our lives, follow your passion. <laughs> I push back on that a lot because typically our passions don't pay the bills like our strengths do. It's just it's just that simple. Yes, there are exceptions to that rule, but by and large our passions are more creative usually and our strengths are more analytical, they're more technical, like marketing, like accounting, like computer science, rocket science. I mean, these things are what companies pay for and pay handsomely for in some in in, in some ways because those things are not easy and i think <clears throat> we get ourselves into this position where if we think that we should follow our passion we also think that jobs should be fun 
that we should enjoy going to our jobs. And yeah, that's great when that happens, but your job is a, is a, is a, is a means to an end. That's how you earn as much money as you possibly can. So you can achieve financial freedom as early as you can. So you can spend more time on your passions on the side. And when you get yourself into that kind of situation, you can leave work aside. You can leave work and then pursue your passion without having to earn an income from it. I would not be in the position I am today if I followed my passion. My passion is photography. I still love photography. And one of the reasons why it is still my passion is because I didn't follow it. I don't have to go out and photograph something for clients and hope that they like it or get the framing exactly right or the colors exactly right. Yeah, I I, I want to do that just naturally anyway, but I don't have to make a living off of my photography passion. I just get to do that because that's what I like to do. And that is such a freeing experience for me because my passions continue to be my passions. My strengths continue to, to be my strengths and my strengths, the, the income that I got that I earned from what I was good at, which was computer science, writing code <clears throat> enabled me to be in this position now where I could pursue my passions pretty much all day, every day and not have to worry about making a single dime from them. Yeah. That's really good advice. I think that, I agree with it in the sense that a lot of people are looking for their passion and I'm, I'm like, or, or their purpose. And I'm like, I think you create it. I think you, you become more passionate about the things that you put effort into. Mm -hmm. I, I have a passion for DJing and electronic music. I'm certainly not making a career out of that. And <laughs> uh, mainly because I don't have the skill set. because you think of any international DJ, you go back 30 years ago, they would have been lead singers or lead guitarists in a band. That's yeah. how good they are music, mu musically because they're producers and DJs now. And I think a lot of people have this concept that a lot of top DJs just press buttons. And like, I'm, I'm afraid they don't. They're actually very talented people. A little more than that. Yeah. A little more than that. Yes, there are the odd people who get through who pay money. And, that, 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 you know, there's always charlatans in every industry. Uh, but when I actually got to a certain level, I was trying to actually make that a career in my 20s. But when I got to a certain level and I started hanging out with actual musicians who were DJs, I suddenly, that, that was the moment where I actually realized this is just a passion for me. This is not a skill set. It's like being mm -hmm. good at something and then going, like thinking you're good at basketball or soccer or whatever. And then you go and play with an actual team at an actual level. And you're like, hold on <laughs> Very a different. Yeah. This is very different. Uh, and yeah, so that, that idea, and if I had stuck with that passion, be like, no, I'm going to become a superstar DJ, even though I don't have any real... Like, yes, I could have got somewhere with it. I'm sure I would have done with the deter determination I have, but I'm fighting against my natural talents. My natural talents are in leadership. They're in organization. They're in project management. They're in speaking. They're in coaching. Those are my strengths. So where am I making money based upon my strengths? Now, am I passionate about coaching? Yeah, I am. It's a passionate thing. It's a, I, I, I could do this job for the rest of my life, 100%. Could I write content for the rest of my life? Yes. But what am I really passionate about? I'm passionate about UK soccer and a certain football team. And I'm also <laughs> passionate about uh, uh, electronic music. But I don't talk about either of those things on Twitter. And I certainly don't make a living out of them. <laughs> That's right. That's the key. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. I really like that. I really like that indeed. So uh, on your journey, the, getting to where you are today, what were, would, be, would you say was your <clears throat> biggest influence? I mean, I know you mentioned your father at the start of the podcast, but... You know, 
books, uh, leaders, influence. You, you, met, you mentioned Mr. Money Mustache as well. But you could even just answer those two people again. But who's really left a, a, a big impact on you? Uh, it was a, a certain type of philosophy or idea or, or certain people. Who, who's been your biggest influence so far in your journey? Boy, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, the honest answer is my dad. But since I already talked about that, one of the one of my favorite books in personal finance is um, "The Millionaire Next Door" by the late Dr. Thomas Stanley. Okay. Once I read that book, and it's and it's the numbers are outdated now. It's kind of funny if you were to read that book now with you know the salaries he would talk yeah, about yeah. and what things cost, but the concepts are still the same. And that was my first exposure to the lie that most millionaires inherit their wealth. That is not the case. That has been soundly rejected by study after study after study. Yes, we all get help. We all get a helping hand. Well, most of us do get a helping hand. But because somebody gives you a helping hand does not mean that you're not self-made. That does not mean that you have to come from an affluent family or live off of daddy's riches. That's not what most millionaires do. And it's that simple. And if you read that book, The Millionaire Next Door, it goes it goes through this process of how most millionaires live their lives. They're not living in the house on the hill and driving around in, in, these, in these lavish cars, taking expensive vacations. High-income people do that but not necessarily wealthy people. And the difference between an income, high income, and actually having a high net worth are very, very different. And that book teaches you to recognize the fact that just because you make a high income does not mean you're rich. Yes, That is such an important concept to keep in mind. And that's what really set my mind straight that even though I did make a high income as a software developer, that doesn't mean I was building wealth. That doesn't mean I was rich. It just means it meant a lot of money was coming in, but also a lot of money was going out. And when you do that, nobody's getting rich. Nobody's achieving financial freedom or retiring early. That's not how this works. Um, so if you have not read that book, add that to your list today. Again, the numbers are outdated, but the concepts still apply. Yeah, I think I saw something on Twitter the other day where someone mentioned that were new stats are coming out like 80% of current millionaires in America or higher, I can't remember what it was, were, were, were not inherited that money. So it's like eight out of 10, you get 10 millionaires in a room and eight of them have actually worked for it. Yeah. Where if you were to ask the layman on the street, go out with a microphone, like, you know, those TikTok people do like, hey, ask a question. I, I guarantee you, because people have such weird warped uh, ideas around millionaires and and money that people are like oh yep. they inherited or they, they you know they they they, they came from a, a higher social economic uh, background which possibly could be true, but sure. the, the 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 fact that most people have actually made that off their own backs is it's almost like a a, a secret that doesn't get spoke about enough when it comes to money. Yeah, it's strange because. The studies are they're they're all over the place. All you have to do is Google. They're all they're literally all all over the place. 
But people don't want to believe it, I think, because it gives them an excuse. It's like, oh, I didn't come from a wealthy family, so therefore there's a reason why I'm not a millionaire. But when you think that way, that's a very poor mindset. That that's that that's a limiting mindset, and it's sadly it's based on something that's that's just not true. I think in the past there was more of an element of influence. Uh, generational wealth handed down over and over and over again throughout the the generations. But today, that's just not how it works. And that's a good thing. That's And th- that means that even if you didn't come from, from a wealthy family, even if daddy isn't super rich, you can still build wealth and you could still do this. Don't let the thought of you have to inherit keep you from busting your ass, working hard, working smart, so you could be a millionaire yourself. Yeah, I think I, one of the things I want to pick out there when you talked about the fact that the reason why it's not common knowledge or the reason why it's it's almost ignored is the fact that you, you're 100 percent right when you say that it's when you get a fact that obvious a truth where it's really on you like the, the, the data is saying exactly you're not a millionaire well you know what that's kind of your fault uh, and I, I think I think that really probably pisses a lot of people off a lot of people like all right like I'm not I'm not willing to accept Absolutely. that. Yep. Yep. I, I think a, there, there was a Dave Ramsey study that that showed about 3%, 3% of millionaires inherited more than a million bucks. Only 21% inherited anything at all. That could be a thousand bucks. That could be 50,000 bucks. Yeah. It's the, the number is so, so low. There's a wealth X study. There's uh there's a fidelity study of uh, the Cato Institute has also researched this. It's just a lie. And it's a good thing that it's a lie. It's a bad thing that so many people continue to want to believe the lie. Yeah, it's and that's what I want to like tap into a little bit with a question that, or a stream of thought. Because you do talk about money quite a lot. And, I, and I've been in your comments sometimes. Mm-hmm. You, get, you get shit on quite a lot. <laughs> and a lot of the other money people get challenged quite a lot. I, I don't know whether I could, I, I, there's even subjects I've stopped talking about because every time I talk about them, someone comes along and goes, uh, you know, the actually guys put their glasses on. Yep. Actually, yep. Like, mm-hmm. and I know it's just easy to mute block, but what is some of the dumbest pushback that you've come across when you're talking about the, the, that kind of data, you're talking about uh, financial independence, you're talking about like the, the, the path to, to creating wealth. What is some of the dumbest pushback that you get when you talk about these subjects? Oh my gosh, I could probably spend a whole day on this. But <laughs> the 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 thing is, nobody gives me data. They just say, "Well, this is this is the way it is. This is how it happens." Millionaires in in inherit wealth. I, I I get that. That's probably the dumbest thing that I get in in general. When I I ask a question on Twitter, like in one word, what separates the rich from the yeah. poor? And you know, there ninety percent of the answers are, are are pretty good, but there's always the inheritance people, the daddy's money, the um, nepotism, the evil. You know those yeah, yeah. those kinds of answers, and that's the problem. Is there are evil people? There's there's, there's no question. There or well, there are evil rich people. I'll, I'll say it this way: there's no question about that. Mm-hmm. And when somebody is evil and they're rich we tend to hear about it on the news and therefore we draw this picture in our heads like 
you know, every single day we're seeing what this rich pe- person conned somebody into doing or what that rich person did. And we just naturally assume rich people are evil. But when you go to the grocery store, there's millionaires in the same growth. I mean, they, they, they walk among us. They shop at the same they stores. Among us. <laughs> they're not. Yeah, they're 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 just regular. The vast majority of millionaires are just regular people. They're yeah. not evil. There, there are rich evils and there are poor evils. There are middle class evils. Evils are all over the place. Yeah. You tend to hear about the ones who are rich because that brings eyeballs to local news stories. But that also doesn't tell the whole story. So that's that is probably the 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 dumbest thing that I that I hear on Twitter. But yeah, there's I get a lot of hate. Oh my gosh, a lot of hate. Yeah. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, somebody commented, word for word, Steve, please die soon. <laughs> what the you fuck? not? Steve, <laughs> please die soon. And, I mean, they got, the comments get so outrageously what? weird slash <laughs> stupid that they're easy to ignore. And I don't block very many people on Twitter. If you like repeatedly just try to pick arguments and stuff, yeah, I, I probably will will block you. But I actually feed on the hate. It gives me it gives me fodder. It gives me things to talk about. So I I don't necessarily encourage hate, but if I get it, that's I mean I I get like I almost get energized when I get hate. Yeah, somebody telling me to die, I don't get energized off of that. But <laughs> if it's if it's even somewhat legitimate, that helps me create more content. That goes into my unlimited like content factory system that I have. Yeah. It feeds that, and so that I think that's one of the reasons why I I don't block a, a lot of people on Twitter unless you're really bad, and I really don't mind the hate because I could ignore it, but I'll, but I could also take from it and produce more content uh, to push this message of financial forward, uh, financial freedom forward yeah smart smart i mean i i do use feedback or when people are snarky on on the, underneath my threads sometimes i i look at that and be like i'm not going to engage that person and that comment's dumb but when i take a bit of a step back and see what they're saying i'll be like you know what i could actually probably make my thread or my tweet better because of that feedback now i'm not going to engage yeah. and have a conversation with them because they're exactly. idiots. They're, they're, and a lot of these people want they want you to engage with them and then the next thing you know they twist your words and they, bingo they, you know they bump bump bump, bump, bump. <clears throat> oh i got one they're like oh yeah i've got i got a big account uh yep. so gen- generally exactly. i just I, I i ignore the odd time i'll throw a little bit of sass back at someone say something dumb uh Me too. And, then, yep. and then i'll ignore <laughs> uh but i i actually find it helpful because i've actually been, oh you know what even though that's a very rudely put comment there's a little bit of a nugget in that comment that would probably make my point a little stronger or hit on an emotional trigger that will actually help me going you know maybe maybe help, help the tweet go a little bit more viral in the future so i mm-hmm. I, I do like that there, there are some subjects that i stopped talking about because I, I just got fed up with um dorks basically and it's stoicism uh, I, I've stopped talking about it because there's a lot of gatekeepers and, and, and yeah. a, lot of, a lot of bros, a lot of uh, people on, on Twitter that think they're uh, some sort of stoic expert or they're the bro side and then they criticize a, a more of a sort of a, a light touch or, a, or a, what I'm saying, they're, they're a bro stoic. So when you come in with the actual 
uh, facts, they're like, oh, it's not stoicism. And, like, and I just got bored of it. So I, I actually, oh, sure. even though I, I love stoicism as a, as a concept, it's a major cornerstone of my life. I've actually veered away from talking about it because I was bored of, of um, the conversations below the tweets. I get that. Yeah, I'm just like, thanks very much, but no thanks. And just like, I've moved away from it. But I want to I want to pull back just a little bit because when you were talking about evil wealthy people, there was two uh, things in my mind that I put aside, and I want to I wanted to circle back in with them from my own experiences, and we can quickly talk about them. The, the The first one for me was when I was working in sales. The people who had money were actually the best clients, and it wasn't because they spent money with me. It's because they were more relaxed. They came in, they were going to be spending five, two, three, four, five thousand, ten thousand dollars on suits, and they hung out with you. Where the people who didn't have money, who were climbing to be in this luxury <coughs> bracket, who were stretching to spend a thousand dollars on a suit or two thousand dollars on a suit, they were really difficult. Yep. They they made you work for your money, and they were often rude, short of you, uh, challenging you, would ask for discounts. Where the wealth the actual wealth would just come out, hang out and they'd be like, you know what, Steve, I'm only taking one suit today. Thanks for trying on the three. I thought I was going to get two or three, but I'm just going to get the one. Boom. There's my card. Ring it up. They would just, or they'd be like, we're taking everything. There's the card. <laughs> uh, and you'd be like, okay, cool. And then yep. I always find that that was a very interesting uh, part of me was actually discovering that, that wealthy people are actually pretty fucking chill. It makes a big difference. And this this kind of, I mean, it's, it's, I guess, maybe a slightly different topic, but it goes into your pricing. If, if, if you do offer something through a side hustle or whatever, like web development services or coaching or something, if you're going to offer it for like $49, you're going to get $49 people. If you offer it for $4,900, yes. you're going to get $4,900 people. Yeah. And you might think that those $4,900 people are going to be way more anal or, or, or like, I don't know, hardcore or I don't know, maybe they have extremely high standards for you, but weirdly, and this matches your, your experience. That's really not the case. You're going to get way more trouble selling lower ticket items or services than you will hire. You're not going to sell as many because it's more expensive, but the ones that you do sell, they're going to be easier clients because those people tend to be easier to deal with. That's something I never expected to be true, but but my but my personal experience totally matches yours. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's something that I forgot when I first got on Twitter. Uh, I, it took me a while to get there because I I fell into the whole like trap of 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 a new new thing of monetizing. How how do you do this? And yep. I I fell into the trap of like you know sell a small guide, uh, do an email sequence, then try to get people on a phone call. And it didn't work out for me, and I, and I failed with my offers, and I've had disasters happening <laughs> in, in my journey to get where I am today. And it will I continue to grow. I continue to be challenged. I continue to develop things. But the the from my sales experience, I used to work in like really shitty retail when I first started my career, and then I finished my retail career working selling five thousand dollars suits to famous people. You know, I helped. A number of people. I'm not mentioning names here because I don't want to name drop famous people. But I, in <laughs> Vancouver, the, the rich and the famous of Vancouver, sure. I, yep. and <clears throat> I then kind of went back when I got on Twitter and went back to low dollar ideas, where I should have just gone straight to high ticket. 
Like, well, who do yeah. I want to help? I want to help entrepreneurs. I want to help business owners. I want to help wealthy people be to get remove the dumb shit from their lives so they can actually fulfill their potential. Sure. But I did this weird dance for like a year and a half of like doing small for, as you say, $49 packages or $20 packages or $50 packages. And who did I attract? $50 people. people. Yeah, $49 exactly. people. But then when I put a high ticket offer out and I'm doing a, a you know, a landing page and I've got a, a sales process, I'm attracting seven figure business owners. That's right. That's because Make, I'm, makes a big difference. Yep. It's a massive difference, massive difference. So if you're listening to this and you're starting out your Twitter journey and, and you, maybe you've got 10 or 15 years of corporate experience behind you, go big when you start. That, that, that's my advice. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Go big or go home. The, 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 <laughs> that's right. I'm not going home. <laughs> uh, the other little thread I wanted to, to, to pull back on, I know we're going back a couple of minutes, but you were talking about how rich people get into the news and something popped into my head because it was a, a conversation that had a, recently about young sportsmen, how NBA players, soccer players in the UK, they go out and buy these expensive cars. They go out to these parties. They go out and do dumb shit like they with girls or whatever. They get in a car crash. They buy stuff yep. all over the news. And they're like, look at this spoiled brat. And they attack these the, these young guys in their 20s because they're earning millions of dollars. And I'm thinking, but there's thousands of other 20-year-old guys doing the exact same thing, but they've yep. got no money, so it's not in the news. But because these wealthy sports guys, these young men who are doing nothing that serious, they're just doing what dumb shit I did. I did dumb shit as a 20-year-old. As a exactly. But they're in the news and they're being positioned. And they're usually of a certain diversity as well in the news. I'll not get too deep into that. Uh, and, they're, and they're being called, uh, you know, uh, you know, irresponsible, and and, and look at the, look at these dumb ki- look at these dumb kids. And I always find that 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 sells to the rest of the people that money money makes you do stupid things, and money's evil, and money's corrupt. And I just think it's bullshit. I just think it's it's media again. It's that media kind of twist of focusing on rich people being evil, quote unquote. That that's right, and that's one of the many reasons why I don't watch the news. And I and, and, <laughs> and most people probably shouldn't watch the news because your mind. <clears throat> I'll, I'll say it this way. Your mind gets warped about what's going on in the world and society when you are glued to the news. There are people out there who literally think the sky is falling. Everything is crumbling down. We're not going to be around in, in two years from now. Um, Putin's going to nuke us and we're going to nuke back and everything is going to – That's it's just not – I mean if all those doom and gloom stories came true, we wouldn't be here right now. The entire exactly. universe would just be poof. It would be dust, like nothing left. That didn't happen. These, these, these things aren't going to happen. You're going to be okay. But if you watch too much news, your mind is going to be warped. No question about it. I have a smile on my face every freaking day because I don't know what the news wants me to be afraid of today. I don't know. I don't care. I never will care. The things that are important enough for me to know, guess what? I'm going to know it. Gonna know I'm going to overhear people talking at the supermarket or my friend's going to ask, ask this or, you know, I'm just you're going to hear about the things that you really do need to know. But everything else is just manufactured Hollywood, Hollywood bullshit designed to get you to tune into that news, get you gets those eyeballs to turn on that television. Yeah. And that's not healthy. A hundred percent. I had this similar conversation with somebody else in real life recently. And I said, you know, in my lifetime, I'm, you know, in my early 40s, uh, Chernobyl, 
Berlin Walls come down, two Iraq wars. Yep, exactly. Falcons war, uh, two recessions, two massive recessions, a pandemic now. Uh, the the Balkans war, the the, the, the Chechen <laughs> war, uh, Northern Ireland uh, troubles, a ma- countless wars in Africa, uh, the South American drug war. Uh, the, I could keep listing the Ukraine Ukraine war currently. These have all happened in my lifetime. These are all things mm-hmm. that have that where you watch the news, they're like, the world's coming to an end. And tomorrow's news, the world's still coming to an end. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yet we're still here. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. So it is crazy. crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So I, I, I'm with you on dropping the news. Uh, I, over the last couple of years, we saw how, not to get too deep into this, but we saw how manipulative the news cycle was used in the last couple of years. So it's it's been... Um, crazy shit so it's 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 absolutely it's, turn it off no more crisis news network no more other bullshit from the other side so yeah that's turn right it all off just turn it off turn it off that's awesome steve it's been really good to talk to you so i'm gonna ask you one last question lay it on me if you could get everybody in the world to wear a printed t-shirt for one day what would that printed t-shirt say I hate mint ice cream. <laughs> Boom, done. I don't need a breath freshener with my dessert. I cannot stand mint chocolate. So that, I mean, that would just make me just thrilled beyond belief. <laughs> no, nothing about financial independence. Nothing nope. about the success journey. Uh, no, nope. I, I hate mint ice cream. I hate mint ice cream. That's what I would do. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Steve, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? I I think I think you you did a great job of covering everything that that I wanted to talk about. So well done, well done, my friend. I appreciate it. All right, that's awesome. Well, thank you very much, and uh, super pumped that you came on. Uh, I'm, I'll see you on the Twitter timeline. Thanks for being here. Sounds Steve. good. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. That was the 48th episode of the SPS podcast. Obviously, I will put all of Steve on Speed's information in the show notes. You can go check him out, click on his links, and go explore everything about him. And also, you can do the same with me. You can check me out at Steve Timoney on Twitter, at S-T-E-V-E-T-I-M-O-N-E-Y, and also at stephentimoney.com. It's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-T-I-M-O-N-E-Y.com. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much for listening all the way to this outro. I deeply appreciate you, and we will speak to you in the next episode of the SPS. Make it a good one.